This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 61. Help! My indexed universal life insurance has fallen, and it can't get up. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your hosts, Mark Willis and Holly Bach, invite you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious. Be stable. Be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. You get extra credit if you uh, are from an age and generation where you know where that phrase and concept comes from. Uh, Welcome, everybody, to Not Your Average Financial Podcast. I'm your co-host, Mark Willis, and with me in the studio today is Holly Bach. Welcome, Holly. Hello, everyone. So, Holly, have you seen that commercial? Uh, for Lifeline, I think it is. Yes. Is that is that what it's called? I forget now. But yeah, the there is there is a real and uh, present danger when uh, when you've uh, fallen and you can't get up. One of those uh, those uh, commercials from the '90s that I'll just go to my grave remembering uh, in in my nightmares. So anyway, so we're looking at now again. We've come out of two two or three episodes of discussing this relatively new and sort of exotic financial vehicle called indexed universal life insurance. And uh, we've taken you through the 10 reasons not to have indexed universal life. Uh, and I'm sure David Letterman would be proud of us. Uh, what we're going to do now is, you know, uh, take a little bit deeper dive into an example or two of how those policies have really played out for folks, right? Uh, so, Holly, what, what uh, you know, where do we start? Where do we start with this episode? Yeah, so I guess what we wanted to talk about today, because we have spent so much time just talking about what these policies are, how they work, maybe some the advantages, the disadvantages, is I'm sure there's probably a handful of you that are maybe freaking out a little bit, <laughs> thinking, you know, I, I have one of these policies, what am I supposed to do? Um, you just told me 10 reasons why not to get one, but what if I already have one? And so uh, we just wanted to talk about today, you know, what to do and what it could maybe look like if you already have a universal life, index universal life, variable universal life, something in that family of life mm-hmm. insurance. So what should they be doing and or thinking through, Mark, if they already have one of these? It's, it's sort of like, you know, if you've decided you want to get off the highway, you have to know what your exit uh, ramp uh, looks like, where it is, and how to get uh, in the right lane so you can get off. Mm-hmm. Um, there are right and wrong ways to get off the expressway, you know, hopefully going at the right speed, at the right exit, and that sort of thing. So one of the things you can do is call up the agent that sold you that policy and ask them questions, uh, and her or him or her. Um, the other thing you can do if you'd like to simply bypass the agent, you can also call the customer service of the insurance company that uh, sold you the contract. So that's actually maybe a more direct path. Again, you know, getting the most direct path uh, to your answers might be best to just call the insurance company themselves. And uh, I can't wait to share with you an upcoming interview where someone did exactly that. So um, I'll hold you in suspense there. But here are some of the questions you might ask. So grab a pen, grab a paper, pull over if you're driving. Here are some of the questions (laughs) that I would possibly ask the insurance company. And here they are. One, what are my current fees? The second, what are the maximum fees that you could possibly charge me according to the contract that I signed? And apparently uh, there are, if you didn't already know, there are uh, charges above and beyond what they're currently charging you that they're legally able to charge you. Yeah. And so the important note there is the fact that that can be different. Yeah. What your fees are being, you know, what your fees are each year and at each point along the way can be different 
which in and of itself is one of the, the flaws of these. But mm-hmm. I mean, that's one thing to note is mm-hmm. the fact that those fees can be changing. That's why you even need to ask this yeah. question. Yeah, good. Well, and similarly, other uh, moving parts, are there caps uh, and are those also changeable, right? Can they charge more? Can they push down on the cap? That's the amount by which your money could grow given what the index did. So if the cap is 3% and the market does 8%, you only had 3% applied to your your interest credit there. Uh, The next one you might ask, the next question is, how do loans work? Uh, What if I want to access this money via loans? Uh, Are the loans direct recognition or non-direct recognition on loans? So as far as I can tell, I've never seen a non-direct recognition universal life policy. Uh, Have you, Holly? I haven't run run across one yet. I have a feeling it has something to do with the organization of the product itself. But, uh, you know, if you've got one, let me know. (laughs) Uh, The next question I would ask is, oh, what is the interest rate on that loan? I've seen loan interest rates north of 6%, 8%, sometimes even higher. It just comes down to how the uh, insurance company decides they're going to make money off of this universal life contract, right? It's, I guess, a key reminder that you are their asset, not an owner in the insurance company like you would be if it was a dividend-paying whole life policy. Uh, Another question to ask is, what is the current crediting rate? Uh, In other words, how often... Uh, are you being given that interest credit? Uh, So it could be once a year. It could be every three years, every 10 years, they'll finally apply some interest credit. Uh, But, you know, that is the current crediting rate. Uh, So asking that question is important. How often am I actually going to get some increase of my cash? Uh, some, Some other questions to possibly look at. What happened to my guarantees if the premium is late or missed? Are there any guarantees that are removed if I don't Um, pay my premiums on time or miss a premium Mm -hmm. or change the amount of the premium. Uh, What about uh, the insurance rate, Uh, the cost of insurance? Can that go up in the future? Uh, What is the current rate of that insurance cost? Is that locked in or guaranteed or can it change? Uh, What are some minimums and maximums on those costs? Uh, What are the current crediting rates? How's the index performance on my costs done over the last five years, 10 years? Can, and, and I would add, can I see what it would look like uh, comparing it to, I think, third-party research that I think should give us a more accurate representation of the real returns of the market? So one of the questions you could ask them is, can I have an in-force illustration that illustrates how my cash value would do if uh, it only earned the average return of real investors over the last 30 years, which might be something around 35 3.6%. That's, again, according to the Dalbar report, that's where we're getting that information. And I think it's important to look at your index universal life policy uh, relative to how the Dalbar uh, says real investors are going to do in mm-hmm. the market. Would you add anything to that, Holly? Yeah, well, I mean, even you could you could make an argument for why that even the three and a half percent is too high because that's real investor returns that were invested directly in the stock market. That's whereas right. this is via an index, which due to those costs, you wouldn't even see the full three and a half percent. So that's a good point. You, I mean, three and a half percent's still going to give you a, a good picture, but you could even make a case for it that even being optimistic. That's true. Yeah. So again, you can ask for uh, a weather forecast of your cash value and your death benefit 
and that's called an Enforce I N India Nance, November India November Enforce <laughs> illustration, and that's really I think the key thing to review with uh, a competent advisor who could look at it with you. And you're right, Holly. There are no dividends paid to you uh, when you have an index fund like an S and P index fund in the stock market or an indexed universal life policy. There are dividends when you are directly invested in stock. So that's a great point. Uh, so even you're right. Even three point six percent might be a little high uh, when we think about how dividends are not paid when you have an index fund. Yeah, that's great. Um, is there a no lapse guarantee? In other words, uh, is there any sort of guarantee that my policy will not lapse uh, with uh, without paying premiums for a certain period of time or by paying a certain premium amount? Uh, or is there any kind of guarantee that my policy won't lapse if I take any income out at retirement? Those are all key questions. So um, I guess that's that's maybe a list of questions I would ask uh, an insurance customer service representative. I'm not sure they could answer any of those questions, <laughs> but at least you can ask them. And it gets you back in the driver's seat after um, uh, hearing the last episode. You might be interested. How can I take back some control over my money if I've got it in an indexed universal life policy? Maybe it's helpful to circle back and review what your intention was with those dollars that you put into the universal life policy as well. What was your objective when you bought that policy? How does that policy meet those objectives and those intentions? Uh, how does the policy fail to meet those objectives? Uh, what would you say or how would you feel if you had to pay premiums forever into the future just to keep the policy from lapsing? How would you feel if you had to lower or stop taking income in retirement to keep that policy from lapsing? Those are all things to consider and remind yourself of. You know, it's great to chase rate of return, not so great when it's working against you and, and you're losing cash values in retirement. Holly, would you mm -hmm. add anything to that? Yeah, and I guess the the big thing here is, again, and I think we mentioned this in a previous episode as well, is that, you know, we're not just bringing this up to hate on a particular product or a particular company. I mean, it's it's because of what we've seen play out um, for our clients and the people that we've come across and, and what these policies are really doing and how they're not helping people meet those objectives that they originally had in mind. Um, and so kind of to that end and to kind of bring some, I guess, substance to what we're saying, we did want to bring on a guest speaker um, to share her story in working with a client. She is also another financial planner um, and share kind of one of the experiences she had in working with a client that had a universal life policy and kind of the whole <laughs> ordeal that they went through. So we just kind of wanted to put some meat to what we've been talking about, show that we're not just making this up, but they're, they're, these are real life stories and these are real life people that are being affected um, by these products. You know, again, not to say that all universal life is bad or all universal life should be avoided and is never right for anyone. It's just that people should, I believe, be more aware of how the product works and what the product is intended for if you are ever going to move forward with this type of product. So, with that, I did want to quickly introduce our guest um, before we go ahead and have her join us here today. Um, her name is Debbie Wilder, and so Debbie has also been a Bank on Yourself authorized advisor uh, for the past eight years. Prior to that, she was a systems analyst uh, for 20 years. Financially, she and her husband did pretty much everything they were told to do. Uh, they did the 401ks, the IRAs, 529 plans for their kids. They paid their mortgage down faster, so on. You know, I mean, they were kind of the poster child yeah. of um, doing everything that you should do according to kind of the common wisdom. 
Um, but, you know, where did that ultimately get them? Well, on the stock market roller coaster, they lost 40% of their assets in 1999 and even more in the early 2000s. Wow. Um, in 2005, though, Debbie learned about the bank on yourself method using specialized whole life insurance like we talk about on this show. And really, she never looked back. Um, in, in kind of moving forward with that, it stopped the slide of her retirement assets, created predictability for their future. Her husband stopped watching the, da- the daily ticker tape. And most importantly, it saved their marriage. So after opening 13... 13, one, three, wow. uh, whole life insurance policies, uh, Debbie decided to spread the word and become an authorized advisor herself. Uh, she always wondered why this was not taught in high school or college. So Debbie is very passionate about educating others about it. So we wanted to bring her on and have her share with you guys. And uh, what she's going to do is she's going to be on uh, giving a story about how she came to call this insurance company for her client who happened to have a universal life policy. So her client and Debbie both got on the phone together and called up the insurance company and asked some of the questions that I just listed for you. And I can't wait to let you uh, just experience what they found out together. So take it away, Debbie. Debbie, welcome to Not Your Average Financial Podcast. Thank you, Mark. It's a pleasure to be a guest. Well, so you had a, a relatively intense experience where you were working with a client uh, who had already owned or purchased some indexed universal life policies. Can you tell us a little bit about that background there and then we'll uh, see where things go? Sure. I was asked to give a seminar um, at a Panera Bread at 10 a.m. one Sunday for a real estate group and they were interested in Bank on Yourself And some of them had already done something similar, and they're like, well, what is she going to tell me? So we spoke for about two hours, and, you know, when I dug a little bit, the people were were saying, well, you know, I just purchased an indexed universal life policy, and probably half the people had in that group. And I said, oh, okay. I really want to say I'm so sorry to hear that, but I couldn't. So they're saying, you know, we we looked for one and a half to two years and found the best universal life salesman in Boston. There's nothing better than this guy. This guy knows his stuff inside and out. Uh, It's got to be working for us very well. And so after uh, the seminar was over, uh, a couple of people reached out to me and said, you know, you know, can you talk to me about this? And I did. And one of these uh, ladies um, who uh, was foreign and with a very, very thick accent, Um, said, you know, I have five of these policies and I have a very sad situation. I'm only 42 years old. My husband passed away at 37. I have two kids. Um, You know, I I work full time um, and and this is my retirement. And uh, when you spoke, you weren't like so high on these universal life policies. And I wanted to know why, because I did all the research. I did lots and lots of research. I said, okay, well, I appreciate your asking me. So we met in person and I asked to see her actual policy, her physical policy, her physical illustration and everything. And I reviewed it with her literally page by page because you know what? As good as the other agent was, he never went through it with her page by page. Everything was, oh, really? Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, 
I really, it, it was amazing what she didn't know about her own policy. And eventually I was telling her, it's like, you know what? You have a high risk of not having this be here when you want this to be here. When you want the income the most at 66, 68 years old, you want to start taking income. He's saying you're going to be able to take 40,000 a year. Maybe you can only take 4,000 a year. Oh no, really? I'm like, yes. Well, that's a big difference, Debbie. I, you know, either 40,000 or 4,000. Uh, wow. Okay. So you were going through this page by page and this was news to the owner of this policy. Correct. And I said, you may not believe me because I know that you really trust your other guy, but I, if you want, we can talk directly with the insurance company and ask these questions. And she says, yes, I'd like to do that. This is the so, insurance company that she already had a policy with, the one that you were just reading through page by page, the indexed universal life policy. And now here you are, you're, you're actually saying, hey, let's, let's call, let's call the, the, the company itself to get our answers. That's correct. Wow, okay. That's correct. So we had to call probably two or three times because they put you first on hold for about 30 minutes each time. That's number one, not great customer service. <laughs> and this was during her lunchtime. She literally had exactly one hour. So we had to keep cutting our conversations short. So the first time we just got to some simple questions. Um, what's the guarantees? You know, it's, it's just a guaranteed IUL. I'm like, can you explain this guarantee? And they, they would, the customer service rep, let's call him, you know, Eric said, Hey, yeah. Um, it's guaranteed to age 121 because she bought the guaranteed rider. It was an extra cost. I want this to be here until I'm 121. I said, so just, just, just to be clear. So this is a specific option that, and I'm just kind of laying it, kind of translating this into uh, to for our audience here. So a guaranteed rider to age 121. Help quickly, just help us understand what is that and why that's important. Um, it's an extra cost you pay on top of an indexed universal life policy to guarantee the death benefit to age 121. That's Got what it. you're guaranteeing. Doesn't matter what your cash value is. It can go to zero when you're 60, but the death benefit is going to be guaranteed to age 121. So then we were talking more and I said, well, let's take a look at, you know, at this illustration. There's several parts to it. There's the guaranteed side of the illustration and the non-guaranteed side of the illustration. And the non-guaranteed side of the illustration has two parts to it, a smaller non-guaranteed and a larger non-guaranteed. But the guaranteed side is projecting 0% growth. So growth, where does growth come from? It comes from the interest that they guarantee you, which is at this case, 2%. And that's about it. They, they also take off lots of charges, which <laughs> they don't say they guarantee it, but they're guaranteed to take off lots of charges from that 2%. So when you start taking off all those costs, they can easily overwhelm that 2% guarantee. So the only thing they guarantee you on the upside is the 2%, but you know there's going to be downside as well. They don't call them guarantees, but believe me, they're guaranteed. <laughs> you just don't know okay. what those are going to be. So, <laughs> so you know, if anyone has uh, ever run their own personal family budget or runs a business, we all know that there's gross revenue up top, and that's a big number usually, hopefully, right? You, yep. you get your, your take-home pay, but then you have to pay for groceries and mortgage and car payment maybe and other things, and then you get your net whether that's positive or negative, who knows, right? So exactly. what you're saying is you might get a 2% guaranteed increase, 
But then you've got the cost of insurance and other fees that would be baked into the policy. And then what's left is maybe even less money than you had last year, even though you had a guaranteed 2%. Is that what I hear you saying? That's exactly correct. Okay. All right. So you were on this call with the insurance company. They finally got you through customer service. What was that call like for you guys? It was very taxing. She she has a thick accent, like I said, and um, there was no way she could even know what to ask. That's, and they, they know that. They know the consumers don't even know what to ask or how to ask it. So she had to give permission to me to ask the questions, which they said, okay. So when I was asking them the questions, they would answer exactly what they heard, but not necessarily what I meant. <laughs> so, for example... When I asked about the guarantee to age 121, they said, yes, it's guaranteed to age 121. I said, okay, so if she decides to borrow any money, which she's allowed to do, um, and pays it back, um, is the guarantee still there? And they come back with, it's guaranteed to age 121. I said, but that's not my question. Mm. <laughs> if she borrows it, regardless of whether she pays it back or not, does that negate the guarantee? And there was a pregnant pause, and they said, yes, right away. And she almost, you know, she went, oh, you know, on the, on the line. She, she was shocked. And she said, why am I paying a percentage point for that? And then I can't even use the policy like I'm supposed to or want to. So that was the first part, that the guarantee would not be there. In addition, I asked, if she missed a payment by a couple days uh, or was late or just missed one altogether and wanted to make it up, does that negate the guarantee? Yes, it does. So we had to ask exactly what we wanted to find out from them because they want to just tell you, hey, you're guaranteed 121. But yeah. unless you get down to the dirty details, um, it's not. So the next question I would ask is, well, according to the illustration, she only has to put in X dollars a year for 15 years and, and she's done. Um, is, is, that the, is that guaranteed that she's going to be done? Well, according to the illustration, it is, they say. And I'm like, but costs can go up, correct? Yes, costs can go up and they will go up because the insurance goes up every single year, the cost of insurance. Is that accounted for in this? They're like, well, we're not accounting for the maximum cost. We're just accounting for the current costs. So they're not really telling you the whole truth. I said, can you show me an illustration with the maximum costs? Yes, we can. And that guarantee went down to 10 years. Oh, wow. So wait a minute. So, so what they were showing, what they said there was, on the illustration, hey, um, client, you're, you're able to fund this for 15 years and then you're done. And you'll have a guaranteed death benefit, no cash value maybe, but a guaranteed death benefit till age 121. And then right. your question was clear, it was clarifying. You, you said, hey, is, is that based on current charges or uh, what about different charges? I mean, the insurance company has the right to increase those charges anytime they choose. And again, as you said, as you age, there's increasing costs uh, inside a IUL policy anyway. Uh, but you're, you were asking, what if, the, what if the insurance company chooses to raise the cost in year seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, and, and following? Uh, would that 
change how long this person would have to fund it or how long the policy would last. Is that, is that what I hear you saying? That is correct. Wow, smart question. That is correct. And uh, they didn't like them. They did not like the questions. But uh, by the end of the two or three times we got through to them and answered all these, she was totally understanding what she had. And um, I then further explained you know, that this is like a bell curve. It's a very simple bell curve, the uh, universal life policies. You, when you're young, you will get, you're definitely overfunding it. You know, your insurance costs are low. You're putting in probably more money than you need to. And it's going up most likely, not necessarily, but most likely. But then when you hit the top of the bell curve, that's when you have the most cash value and the most death benefit. And then it starts going down the bell curve because your costs are going up and starting to eat into that cash. And unfortunately, the downhill slide is much faster than the uphill climb. <laughs> it may take you 30 years to get uphill, but maybe only 12 to 15 years to go all the way down. And, um, you know, if you know that you're going to die exactly at the top of that bell curve, you won. You won that and beat that IUL policy. But if you're planning on living any longer than that, uh, they're going to start winning. This ended up having her fully understand what's going on. We compared it to a, a bank on yourself designed whole life policy, how there's true guarantees um, and how, how it works and non-guaranteed dividends and how they've been paying for 130 years and all that great stuff about whole life policies and the ones that we use. And she ended up converting four out of five of those policies. Why not that last one? Because in her heart, she still had that little inkling that just maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> and she wanted to compare it, you know, 20, 30 years down the line. Luckily, it's a small policy she kept. And I said, that's fine. I understand. I mean, you did move four out of five of them knowing that the guarantees were really important for you. So that's the story. Debbie, and, can can you tell can you tell us just in a minute or two here how does from your perspective how does whole life insurance uh, stack up to the guarantees of index universal life insurance what can the insurance company change in an IUL relative to what they can change inside a whole life policy it's all about the costs the cost of the mortality charges how much it costs to insure you is like term insurance it changes every single year None of that changes inside a whole life policy because there are no mutual funds inside a whole life policy. There's only guarantees that the that contractual guarantees that the company must meet without any question. And um, it's basically comparing apples to oranges. There, you just cannot compare the two equally on equal footing. Cool. Thank you, Debbie, for being on our show. And we look forward to hearing more from what you guys are up to. Thank you. I appreciate the time. So that was a, uh, in, I think, a deep but also important uh, phone call that she made. It might have saved uh, that client uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars over her lifetime, maybe more. So for those that are listening, go back and listen to some of those questions again and bring those up to your own customer service if you own one of these policies. What would you say to that, Holly? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what we're what we're fighting against here isn't any particular product or person or thing. We're just fighting against ignorance. 
And so, you know, be educated on what you own, be educated on what you have, what you're doing and what your actual financial plan is. And in order to be fully educated, you have to ask questions. Mm -hmm. So call up your insurance company, call up the agent, ask these hard questions. Um, You know, if you need a little bit of help for that, that's what we're here for. As you can tell, I mean, you know, Debbie shared, she pretty much had to ask the questions because you can't know what you don't know. Um, And so you can't necessarily know what questions to ask if if you're not sure what exactly is going on. But um, yeah, so I mean, make sure you're having these tough conversations and make sure that you're getting knowledge and educated on, on what it is that you're doing. There are three different options I'm going to share quickly as we wrap up our episode today. If you've decided that you don't want your index universal life policy, you don't have to burn the contract in the fireplace. There are a few ways you can get off that um, that vehicle and onto something better. Uh, what are What's the first option there, Holly, that you say you have seen work for clients in the past? Yeah, I would say typically kind of the first option maybe that we we look to just to see if it's a viable option is what's called a 1035 exchange, um, which I think we've mentioned it before in previous episodes. But essentially what it is, is it's a tax-free exchange from one type of life insurance to another. So you can actually do kind of a a tax-free transfer of sorts from um, one of these types of vehicles, IULs, um, ULs, and do a transfer straight over into a whole life insurance policy. And essentially what that'll do is it will preserve your cash value. It's not a transfer of the death benefit. The death be- That particular death benefit is lost, what was in the universal life contract, but whatever cash value you had accumulated is, what's get, is what gets transferred over. And then there will be a new death benefit with the new policy that's associated with that cash value. So um, essentially your cash is what's being preserved in that type of exchange. But again, you know, if you're kind of in those early years of it, there's a good chance you might be in a good spot cash value wise. And that might be a smart move if it makes sense. Um, There's some scenarios where it may not make sense. There's scenarios where it will, you know, it it just kind of depends. But that's typically the first thing that we're looking for just because again, it allows you to get that cash out. Yeah. And you want to keep an eye on surrender costs when you do that. But in general, that is the most uh, tax efficient and oftentimes the best way to help transfer that money out into something else. Uh, that's uh, safer. You can also withdraw money or even borrow the money out of the life insurance uh, with no intention to pay it back, uh, keeping a close eye on when it will lapse if you decide to do the loan or the withdrawal. So keep an eye on the company's rules there. So every company does have its own rules. Each product is designed different. So, you know, it's important, I guess, that you sit down and talk with a competent professional. And uh, the best way we can say do that is give us a call. Uh, We put on right on our website, Not Your Average Financial Podcast, a little uh, book a meeting with us uh, appointment, and we can have a 15-minute quick overview with you. We've had numerous people find us straight off of iTunes and uh, Stitcher and Spotify, wherever you're hearing this. Um, We offer that option for you. Just go to our landing page or Not Your Average Financial Podcast and uh, select book a meeting. Uh, Anything else, Holly, before we wrap up? No, I think that's it. (laughs) So thank you all for joining us for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. 
On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.